Please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. And look there with me in Psalm 53. Now, as we heard Psalm 53 and Psalm 14 read to us, I trust you noticed how similar they are. Indeed, they almost seem like a carbon copy of each other. Both Psalms speak of the fool who says no to God. Now, this repetition in God's word is not without its purpose. You see, this repetition is to emphasize just how foolish it is to say no to God. And further, God repeats this important statement because of the total depravity of our nature. This is something we need to hear over and over again. And why is that? Well, because of our fallen and depraved nature. We're prone to forget unless God reminds us. Now, some people think that David wrote Psalm 14 when he was a young man, and he wrote Psalm 53 when he was older. And so over the course of his life, some speculate that David grew to learn even more clearly just how depraved all men are by nature. And he felt the need to stress it again, and so he wrote this second psalm. You see, every son and daughter of Adam is born with the exact same deceitful heart. In fact, God's Word describes our hearts as being desperately wicked, and it describes our nature as dead in sin, having a heart that is darkened and foolish. And so we see here the psalmist describing our own foolish heart. Now, many times when reading this psalm, we often think that it's describing the heart of the atheist unbeliever, and most certainly it is. But further to that, it's also describing the heart of every one of us by nature. Indeed, it's describing the nature of every son and daughter of Adam. The Apostle Paul quotes this psalm in Romans chapter 3 and sets forth there in verses 10 and 12 the authority of God's word declaring, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And so because of our total depravity, because every one of us is not good before God, every one of us stands in need of Christ. You see, all of us here this morning are born with this foolish, unbelieving heart. But believers have a second heart, a second nature, given to them in the new birth. And Scripture describes that heart as a righteous heart, as a holy heart. Indeed, God's Word sets forth that the new nature of the believer as being partaker of the divine nature. You see, beloved, it's the new nature we've been, been, been given by our Heavenly Father in the new birth. And the only people who can see that they have a foolish, wicked heart are people who've been given a new, opened heart. The only people who can see that they've got a dead heart are those people that God's given life and the new birth. Beloved, the only people that know that they have an old, foolish heart are people who have a new heart. Those people who struggle with and strive against that old heart every hour of every day. Now this morning, the Lord willing the Lord enabling, I want us to look at this psalm in clear, simple, unmistakable terms so every one of us can leave here knowing 
whether I have two hearts or just one. Now, we're going to recognize this foolish heart in ourselves if we have two hearts, if we have two natures. First of all, here's the first heart we all have by nature, that foolish heart that will not bow to God's sovereign rule over us. Psalm 53, verse 1, David writes, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. Now notice those two words in italics. There is. Those two words have been added by the translators to try to help us better understand the meaning of the text. And certainly anybody who says there is no God is a fool. They're just an utter and complete fool. I mean, just look around you. Creation tells, tells you there's a creator, that God is. And most certainly that man or woman who looks out at creation and says there's no creator is just as foolish as that man or woman who looks at a building and says there's no builder. I mean, you're willingly ignorant if you think all of this evolved from nothing or if you think all of this happened by accident or by chance. You see, my friend, somebody with great wisdom, great power, and great understanding created this marvelous creation that works so well together. And besides that, our conscience tells us that God is. You see, man inherently knows I'm going to have to answer for what I've done. I'm going to have to answer to God for this. And indeed, our conscience tells us not only that God is, but further, that judgment is coming. I keep coming across this saying, perhaps you've come across it yourself. I've seen it on bumper stickers. I've seen it on the back of pickup trucks and T-shirts. And it says, only God can judge me. Well, I certainly understand the sentiment, but the sticker is dead wrong. It should read, God will judge me. And there's only two places God will judge. In Christ and outside of Christ. Beloved, are you not thankful how that because of our Lord's doing and dying, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, what does this verse mean? How should we understand this verse? I mean, if these words, there, the words there is, were not in the original, what did David actually write? Well, this is what he wrote. The fool hath said in his heart, No, God. And my friend, only a fool would tell God, No, I will not bow to you and think he can get away with it. Only a fool would do that. It's a fool, someone who absolutely does not know any better, that says, No, God, I will not accept any limits. I will not accept any restraints. I will not accept any order from you that I have to follow. How foolish it is to think that way, to talk that way, because that's ignoring the sovereignty and power of Almighty God. And further, it's also ignoring the insignificance of man. My friend, God is king, and we have no right to tell God no. You see, it's the natural order of things that the creature shall obey the Creator. I mean, it's just the natural order of things that the maggot would be subject to God. And so fools ought to obey Him whose name is Wisdom. And so it's the fool who says, No, God. 
It's also the fool that hears the gospel and says, No, God, I know a better way than you. My friend, do you know how to recognize the worst kind of fool? Do you know? It's somebody who thinks they know everything when they don't. That's the worst kind of fool because you can't teach them. You see, a fool needs to be taught, but somebody that thinks they know already everything, well, you just can't teach them anything. And only a fool would say, No, God, I don't like your way of salvation that's all in Christ. No, God, I don't like your way of righteousness that's found in the obedience of Christ and not in mine. Only a fool would say, No, God, I don't want your will. I want my will. And when we say, I want my will, not God's will, what we're really saying is, I don't want his holiness. I want iniquity. I don't want his power. I want weakness. You see, it's the fool who says, No, God, I want my way, not your way. And when we say that, what we're really saying is, I want the way of death, not the way of life. I want the way of war, not the way of peace. And you parents who believe on Christ, you know what you are. You are what you are by the grace of God. And so that new nature, that that new heart that God opens in you, opens up a view of yourself that you didn't see before. Before you didn't know you're wicked. Before you didn't know you're wretched. And so if by God's grace, He's shown you what you are and who He is, you'll love His Son. You'll love His Word. And you'll love His people. And so when your children say no to you, when your children disrespect your authority, and they give you a haughty look, don't you ever just ignore that. I mean, if you love your children, you'll teach them to respect your authority. So when you tell them do something, they ought to do it immediately and say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. God's Word declares not once, but twice. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Beloved, could it be that if we teach our children to obey us in all things the first time we speak, it may prepare the way that our children obey the Lord when He speaks. And so listen fearfully and reverently, dear children, for the Lord might just speak once. You see, if your children think they can tell you no, or if they can tell you no, they're going to live with the delusion they can tell everybody in authority no. They're going to think they can tell their teacher no. They're going to think they can, they're going to tell the policeman no. And should God leave them to themselves, they'll tell God no. Beloved, your job as a believing parent is to train up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Indeed, ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You see, if we allow our children to act like fools, it's going to end up with them having a very bad life every time. And so 
Though foolishness be bound in the heart of your child and mine, the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. So then, beloved, withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Now, that's no guarantee, but that's our hope, beloved. But if God allows us to go the way that our foolish heart wants to go, we're going to go away from God and we're going to try to establish our own righteousness and will not submit to the righteousness of Christ. And we're going to try to earn our own salvation by our own works. And David tells us what our works are in the light of Christ. They're corrupt. They're abominable iniquity. You see, they're not just iniquity. They're horrible, abominable iniquity. Those so-called works of righteousness, works we do trying to be accepted of God, are corrupt works. They're abominable works, just awful iniquity that God hates. So if you find yourself struggling against your desire to want your way and not God's way, then you're born again. If you've got two natures, that's the evidence of two natures fighting against each other. But if you've got no trouble insisting on your own way, then you've not been born again. You've just got one nature, and I'm here to warn you, it's a foolish nature. Now, the second thing I want us to see here is how our foolish heart cannot understand God's way of salvation. Verse 2. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You see, in our carnal nature, in our carnal mind, in our foolish heart that we've been born with, we cannot understand how God saves sinners. And that's why God has to send us preachers that preach His Word. That's why God has to send the Holy Spirit into our hearts to teach us and give us an understanding of His Word because the gospel can only be understood if God reveals it to us. You see, we cannot understand that salvation is in Christ's obedience alone and not our own unless God reveals Christ to us. Otherwise, our foolish heart is going to think we can earn salvation by keeping the law. We are so foolish that if we were left to ourselves, we'd continue thinking we can keep the law of God well enough to please Him. That is until God reveals His well-pleasing Son to us. And thank God He does, because fools will believe they can keep the law until one day they wake up in hell. You see, we cannot understand that salvation is in Christ's sacrifice alone and not in our own until God reveals Christ to us. For until God reveals Christ, well, we continue thinking that salvation is something that can be obtained by us sacrificing something. You know, I've got to give up the pleasures of this world. And people think that way. The Apostle Paul, when writing to Timothy, said, I know whom. He didn't say, I know what, or I know when I have believed. Rather, he said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And so until God reveals Christ to us, We'll continue thinking that salvation is through knowing a what or a when. But thanks being to God, beloved, we know whom 
we have believed, being persuaded of God, not of man, that he is able to save us to the uttermost. You see, for us to know this, it must be revealed from above, for we cannot understand this left to ourselves. Nicodemus couldn't understand what the Lord told him, could he? Nicodemus, you must be born again. You see, you can't understand that until God births you from above, until he gives you a new nature. You see, before God gives us a new heart, our foolish heart thinks I can do something good, well, good enough that God will accept me. And I'll tell you why someone would think that way. Well, it's because they don't know they're dead. You see, the only way you can know we're dead is if God gives us life. Now, the main thing this verse shows us is how by nature we cannot understand how that salvation is by God's electing grace and not our decision. We cannot understand that salvation is by God's choice, not ours. God's electing love is the fountainhead of every grace that God has for a sinner. You see, it all comes from God's election of a people. Indeed, there can be no salvation of a sinner unless it starts with God's election of a people. Now, some people explain election this way. They say, God looked down through the telescope of time, and he saw who would be good, and he chose them. And so God saw who would choose him, and because of that, he chose them. Now, the only problem with that is that that's not true. You see, God didn't choose people because there was any goodness in them, because there is no goodness in them. Rather, God chose a people to save just because God would. You see, if God looked down through the telescope of time and saw who would choose him, and so then based upon that, he chose them, well, that's God taking credit for what man is already going to do, and that's not salvation. Now, God did look down through time. He did look into the heart of every son of Adam, and you know what he saw? He saw man's heart is desperately wicked, God looked down and he saw that every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart is only evil continually. Indeed, God looked down from heaven. He looked into the heart of man and he saw no one understands. He saw that no one will seek God. God saw no one would ever choose him. No one would ever do anything to deserve to be saved. But God chose a people to save anyway. Now that's unconditional election. And what unconditional election means is this, and it's good news to sinners. Beloved, there are no conditions you have to meet in order to be saved. Not one. Because our Heavenly Father satisfied every condition in the person and work of His beloved, well-pleasing Son. And that's the truth of God's Word. Now, I know the foolish heart can't understand it, can't believe it, but that's the truth of this book. And a wise man or a wise woman, a wise boy or a wise girl will say, Lord, choose me. Lord, save me. And the fool will say, no, God, I insist on my free will, even though Scripture says my free will will send me to hell. That's what a fool would say. Only a fool would say, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing, even though God says it's going to send me to hell. My friend, only a fool would do that. 
Beloved, our will is only free to do those things that its nature is constrained to do. You see, my will is constrained by my nature. I mean, go ahead and clean a pig, wash it up, put a ribbon on it, and take it down to the Houston Livestock Show. If it rains during the show, what's the pig going to do? Well, it's going to roll in the mud. And why is that? Well, because that's its nature. You see, left to what men call my free will, that corrupt will I was born with, I can't do anything but lie. I can't do anything but sin. I can't do anything but hate God with this fallen nature. And why is that? Well, that's because my actions are constrained by my nature. And so left to my own will, I'm going to choose the way of sin, death, and hell. Left to my own will, I'm going to resist God's electing love, and it's going to lead me away from God. That's what verse 3 says. Everyone, everyone, every one of them is gone back. You see, the natural man will not choose to go toward God. Rather, he'll choose to go away from God every time. That's why God has to command us to come to Christ. Because left to our own will, we'll go away from Him. And they say, but I want to come to God by my own goodness, by my own kindness and morality. Because election is so hard, mean and cold. When actually, the exact opposite is true. You see, there's nothing more loving than God choosing to save sinners who are opposed to Him. There's nothing more loving than that and yet, they want to come to God through their own goodness. But what does, what does God say about their so-called goodness? The psalmist says, in effect, look at everything you're doing, put all of your good works together, and they're still filthy. Beloved, none of our so-called goodness is going to do us any good on that day. And someone says, but wait, what about my morality? What about my honesty? What about how I never miss a service? What about how I read my Bible and pray every day? What about how I feed the poor and visit people in their homes? My friend, every one of God's people have been delivered from that false hope of self-righteousness. And by His grace, we all freely confess, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You see, God's Word declares, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, before you and me, comparing one worm with another worm, well, I might say that that worm is a good worm, better than the other worm. But before God's perfect holiness, indeed, in the light of Christ's perfect righteousness, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. You see, God says those works aren't good works. Those works don't impress Him. Those works don't produce spiritual life. All they do is produce more dead, imperfect works that are offensive to God. He says here in our portion that they're filthy. Now, that word means they're defiled. They're polluted with sin. They're not just dirty on the outside. Further to that, they're polluted through and through with sin. And it's offensive to God. And so only a fool would choose that way. Now, the word fool that David uses here has two meanings. The first one is stupid. Now, this word here, fool, doesn't mean ignorant. You see, somebody who is ignorant is untaught, 
but they can be taught. They're just ignorant. They just haven't had a chance to learn. But stupid means incapable of learning. And that's our nature, incapable of learning. And left to ourselves, we'd be ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel of Christ. And so that's why we need a new nature. And the second meaning of this word fool is vile. And that's this filthy, wicked nature we have. You see, anybody who doesn't trust Christ and wants to produce their own righteousness, well, that self-righteousness is vile because their works are nothing but sin. And that's the only thing that we can be outside of God's electing love. So if you look at yourself and you find yourself saying, I need God to choose me, then God's given you a new heart. But if you think you're just fine and you can choose God on your own and that you don't need God to choose you, well, then you just have a foolish heart. All right, the third thing we see here is how this foolish heart will not and cannot come to Christ. Even so, God commands us to come to Christ. Indeed, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, the God-man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. My friend, come to Christ. This is God's commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not an offer. It's a commandment. Come to Christ. Come to Christ for forgiveness. Come to Christ for righteousness. Come to Christ for peace with God. Come to Christ for everything you need. It's free. You see, only a fool would say, I'm not going to take it because it's free. At the end of verse 2, David says, God looked down and he saw that there was none that did seek God. Our Lord said, come unto me that you might have life. Only a fool would say, I'd rather stay dead. The foolishness of our heart is choosing willfully not to come to Christ and to try to go about to establish our own righteousness. This is what the Lord has told us. He said, no man can come to me. And no man can come to him that they might have life because our foolish nature is dead. You cannot come to me except the Father which sent me draw you. He said, and this is recorded for us in John chapter 6, verse 44. Our Lord declares, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And it is not merely that we cannot come to him, Further, our Lord said, you will not come to me that you might have life. And that, my friend, is the height of foolishness. Now, if we would be saved, God must give us a new heart. You see, if God would save us, he must give us a heart that's willing and able to come to Christ. And then he's got to draw us to his son. Beloved, this thing of coming to Christ, you know, it's not a one-time thing. And then it's settled. You see, salvation is a living union with Christ. It's a relationship with Him. It's just like a marriage. I married Sandra 26 years ago. Now, what if after I said my vows to her, I didn't see her anymore? You'd have a hard time believing we were married, wouldn't you? So you see, this is a relationship. 
It's coming to Christ. And coming to Christ is not saying, I was baptized and that's it. Peter said, to whom coming? You see, beloved, we're constantly coming to Christ. We're constantly coming to Him for everything we need. We're constantly coming to Him for comfort, for assurance, to be fed. So if you find your old heart, that old foolish heart that's constantly trying to bring you back into captivity to the law, just like those Jews, remember, they were set free from Egypt. They had the Passover. They went through the Red Sea. They saw Pharaoh and his army drown in that sea. And the first day they didn't have bread, they said, let me go back to Egypt. Only a fool wants to go back to be a slave. And if your old foolish heart is constantly trying to bring you back into captivity to the law, and you find yourself constantly turning away from yourself, and constantly coming again and again to Christ, well, God's given you a new nature. All right, fourthly, our foolish heart is our worst enemy. He says in verse 4, Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. Now, most certainly, this applies to the wicked, the wicked who do not believe on Christ. They're the believer's enemy, and they they torment God's people as much as they possibly can, hurting them as much as God will allow them to do so. And if God would allow it, they'd eat up and devour God's people. And that mocking, that ridicule, you see it on people's faces all the time and the things that they say to you. Well, it bothers you, doesn't it? And it just eats at you and eats at you. Now, most certainly those enemies are real. I'm not going to minimize that. But who's our worst enemy, really? Well, it's this old fool that we carry around with us everywhere. And it's that foolish heart that's just eating us up all the time. I mean, who is it in the middle of the night or the middle of the day or whenever? Who is it that whispers in your ear, you're not good enough for God to choose you? You better improve so God will choose you. Who is it that whispers in your ear, well, God's not blessing you because you're not keeping his law well enough? Who whispers in your ear, you know, why don't you have more of God's grace? You're not good enough. You're not living a good Christian life. Who's doing that? That's our foolish heart eating us up from the inside out. Our worst enemy is already in the gates. You know, when our Lord teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray, deliver us from evil. And I think principally when we pray that, we should not be thinking so much of this world and this world that lieth in wickedness. I think we should be praying for our hearts. Lord, deliver me from this wicked heart of mine. And so only a fool would say, you don't have grace because you're not good enough. Grace, by definition, is for people who are not good enough. My friend, you can't be too bad for grace, but you can be too good for it. But you most certainly can't be too bad for it. You see, God's grace is for the guilty. The Savior said he didn't come to call the good people. He didn't come to call the righteous people. He came to call sinners to repentance. You see, it's that foolish heart lying to you and eating you up from the inside out. It's our foolish heart that tells us, well, I know you need to go pray, but you better start doing good. You've got to do better. Go do some good things before you go pray so he'll hear you. And that's just the 
old foolish heart eating us up from the inside out, eating away at our joy, eating away at our rest, eating away at our peace in Christ. So if you constantly find yourself calling on God out of great need, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Then you've been born again. Because only the new man is going to call on God for relief from the old man. Only the new man will do that. Now here's the fifth thing. Our foolish dead heart, if that's all we have, well, we won't fear until it's too late. Verse 5. There were they in great fear where no fear was. For God has scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame because God hath despised them. Now our foolish heart goes through this life with no fear of God. Our foolish heart doesn't fear God because it tells us we've lived well enough to please God. That foolish heart says we love God and of course God loves us because God loves everybody. And it even makes up logos on t-shirts, no fear. And we know we should fear but we're just sort of whistling through the graveyard trying to convince ourselves we don't have to fear anything. Men are not afraid of God because they don't fear Him. They don't reverence Him. And more people would probably fear God if preachers in our nation gave a more accurate description of who God really is. Then more people would fear Him. And then at the very end of this life, people begin to fear death. And they begin to fear because they just can't help it. Now they're forced to face it. They're going to be, there's going to be a judgment. And after that, what's going to happen? And suddenly there's fear where it wasn't there before. And they fear with good reason. If our hope of eternal life depends on how well we lived, if that were true, we should fear, shouldn't we? Because we can never know, have I done enough? Did I get a passing grade? Beloved, if we faced death that way, we'd be afraid, wouldn't we? And if the thought of death doesn't fill the unbeliever with fear, soon enough they will be filled with fear when they face God in judgment. They'll fear Him both in reverence and bowing the knee, and they'll be afraid of falling into the hands of an angry God. But beloved, believing sinner, there's no reason for you to fear death. Beloved, you have no reason to be afraid of any of that. You have no reason to be afraid of death. You have no reason to be afraid of the judgment. For our hope, beloved, our hope of eternal life is based on how well God's Son has done. But if our hope was based on what we did, we'd be afraid. Because being left in the darkness of our own free will, we'd never know if we've done enough. But our hope, beloved, of eternal life is in Christ because I know Christ is all. Beloved, He accomplished everything we need to be saved. I love that word, accomplished. It's such a glorious word. Beloved, salvation is of the Lord. He accomplished our salvation. And so there's no reason, not at all, for the believer to fear judgment. Christ has already suffered the wrath of God for the sins of His people. And the Father said, There's no wrath left in me. I poured it all out on your substitute. And so there's no reason for the believer to face, fear facing God in judgment. For, beloved, Christ has made us not guilty. And, my friend, an innocent man doesn't have any reason to fear the judge. 
So when you get filled with fear, when you start navel-gazing, when you start looking at yourself, when you do that, look away to Christ. As soon as you do that, God-enabling, all your fears are silenced. What is it we read in Isaiah? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. My friend, if you can do that, if you can look to Christ as all of your salvation, you've been born again. You see, if you find yourself afraid to stand before God outside of Christ, and you wouldn't think for a moment about presenting anything you've done before God, and you just want to hide in Him, in Christ alone, if that's your hope, you've been born again. If you have a fear and a reverence of the Lord, God's given you a wise heart. Now, these first five verses that we've been looking at, they've all been about that old foolish heart. But the sixth verse is all about the new heart. Only the new man can find joy and peace in that one place of salvation, deliverance, and rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the fool thinks there's many ways of salvation. The fool says there's many ways of joy. And in fact, he says that not only to himself and others. There's many ways of joy. It'll be all right. You go your way, I'll go my way. And though we'll go in opposite ways, we'll eventually meet at the same end. That's not true, my friend. That's not true. There's the expected end of the believer and the unexpected end of the wicked. That foolish heart doesn't know any better, but the wise heart has been made to know better than that. Indeed, God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end in Christ. All right, verse 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Now, this foolish heart that David describes here, Remember, it's the heart we're all born with. It's the heart of flesh that's still in every one of us and will be till the day we die. Young's literal translation puts verse 6 as a question. Who doth give from Zion the salvation of Israel? Who will give salvation to God's people? Well, beloved, we know the answer to that question. The Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, that apostle, set forth as a pattern to them which should believe on Christ. He asked the same question, struggling with the same warfare, that battle between the heart of the old man and the heart of the new man, between the flesh and the spirit. He asked, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And ever so blessedly he answers his own question, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Beloved, that's how we're delivered. It's through Christ. Christ delivers his people from being captive to that foolish heart by giving us a heart of wisdom. Indeed, by Christ himself being made our wisdom. You see, once I'm made to see Christ, I know I can't make this flesh any better. There's no hope in this flesh that God would save me. But in the light of Christ, I see now, indeed, he has given me an understanding how my heavenly Father can save a sinner like me and still be holy. It's by giving me the obedience of his darling Son 
the obedience he established in his, in his flesh, not mine. It's by his making him my representative and giving me his obedience so that I'm righteous and by punishing all my sin in Christ, my substitute. That's the wisdom of God. That's how God could save sinners and still be God. Indeed, how he can be both just and still justify the ungodly. And that salvation, that gospel, my friend, makes, makes God's people rejoice. Oh, the joy of being set free from captivity to the law. Beloved, stand fast. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage of the law. What freedom there is in Christ to be set free from all the ceremonies of religion. I'm not going to go to hell if I miss whatever ceremony it is they're doing. I'm not going to go to hell if the priest doesn't say some mumbo-jumbo, last rites or whatever. I'm free from that. I'm free from the ceremonies of religion. I'm free from the fear of death. There's joy in Christ because all fears are gone. There's freedom from worry, freedom from fear, freedom from God's judgment. I'm free from all condemnation in Christ. And I rejoice in that, how that my heavenly Father does not see me in all my abominable works. Now, if I look at my works, if I start navel-gazing, we're all prone to do this, beloved, all I see about myself is my filthy, ruined record. But God doesn't see me that way. Rather, my Heavenly Father now sees me in His Son's perfect, righteous record because He sees me as perfect as He is in Christ because He gave me to Christ and Christ gave Himself for me. And because of that, my Heavenly Father says, I'm perfect. The apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Oh, that God would be pleased to do that this, this very morning. Increase our faith. Revive us to believe anew what it really means to be perfect before Him. You see, my friend, God doesn't see me and He won't deal with me in the filth of my sin because He cleansed me thoroughly and completely in the blood of His precious Son. And nothing makes me gladder. Nothing makes me happier than that. The foolish will rejoice in what he's done for Jesus, but the wise heart rejoices in Christ and what he's done for his people. My friend, if you can leave here this morning rejoicing in Christ plus nothing else, just rejoicing in Christ and him crucified alone, God's given you a new opened heart. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion when God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Amen.